My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. Hello and welcome to Talking Radical Radio, where we bring you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people that are facing many different struggles talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening is a crucial step in strengthening all of our efforts to change the world. On this week's show, I will be speaking with William Philipchuk and Brian McDougall. The Chaudière Falls and their environs, also sometimes called Akikojawan in the Algonquin language, has long been a sacred place and an important place of gathering and ceremony for the Algonquin people. It sits in what we know today as the Ottawa River, just a couple of kilometers west of Parliament Hill. Until relatively recently, a significant proportion of the relevant territory was used by a lumber company for industrial purposes. However, it had long been widely understood that once this company's facility closed, the land would be used to realize a vision brought forward over many years by respected Algonquin elder William Commanda and by one of Canada's most famous architects, Douglas Cardinal, that would have turned ownership and stewardship of the land back to the Algonquin nation and used it to create a space of reconciliation and healing. However, a couple of years before the Harper Conservatives lost federal power, things changed rather abruptly. The land, or at least some of it, was turned over to a private developer called Windmill Developments, who intend to build condos on the site. In 2015, nine out of ten Algonquin chiefs declared their opposition to this commercial development on sacred land. To complement the ongoing organizing against the project by Algonquin people themselves, the chiefs called for non-Algonquin people to act in support of their demands. In response to this call for support, a handful of non-Algonquin people founded Stop Windmill Student and Labor Allies for Akakojawan in October of 2015. Philip Chuck and McDougall are members of Stop Windmill, which aims not just to bring individual activists together, but to draw organizations and institutions into a broad coalition. Despite efforts by the developer to confuse the issue by claiming to be particularly environmentally friendly, and, most outrageously, by claiming that building condos on a sacred site is somehow an act of reconciliation, Stop Windmill has been very successful in drawing unions, student groups, and other predominantly non-Algonquin organizations in Ottawa into support of the demands from the nine Algonquin chiefs. More recently, the group has begun to mobilize this broad local opposition to the project in more publicly visible ways. The goal is to begin putting escalating pressure on the Liberal government, particularly through Liberal MPs in Ottawa-area ridings. This includes Environment Minister Catherine McKenna, who represents the riding in which the site is located. In this way, the group hopes to convince the Liberals that meeting the demands of the Algonquin chiefs is one way that the Trudeau government can begin putting some substance into its thus far largely symbolic rhetoric of support for Indigenous peoples. And in the longer term, Philip Chuck and McDougall hope that this organizing can be part of building a broad, robust, anti-colonial movement among non-Indigenous people in the Ottawa region. They speak with me about the Akakojawan site, about the development plans, and about the work of Stop Windmill to act in solidarity with the Algonquin demands to return this sacred place to Algonquin ownership and stewardship. We spoke 
by Skype to phone from Ottawa. Hi, my name is William Philipchuk. I'm a PhD student in the School of Canadian Studies at Carleton University here in Ottawa. I'm specializing in the history of settler colonialism in the National Capital Region and the settler colonial foundations of Canada's capital, and specifically in relation to the Algonquin Nation on whose unceded lands we reside. And I am part of the group Stop Windmill, Student Labor Allies for Akakojwan, which is organizing some of the opposition to the development of Shoger Falls here in Ottawa, which is an Algonquin sacred site. And my name is Brian McDougall. I am a former federal public servant, former university teacher, adjunct professor at Carleton in Canadian Studies at the moment, and general citywide troublemaker. I've been a socialist for a number of decades, and I've been active around a variety of issues. And I, too, am a member of Stop Windmill. The sighting question centers around the Shoger Falls, one of the Algonquin names for which is Akakojwan. And then there's several islands and a little bit of the mainland that surround the falls. They're about two kilometers west of Parliament Hill. And they're a site of extreme sacred, but also political and social importance for the Algonquin nation. They were a place where ceremonies were and continue to be conducted. Victoria Island is one of the adjacent islands to the falls. And it's been a site of indigenous and specifically Algonquin resistance and contestation pretty much constantly over the last few decades. The other islands, unfortunately, Albert Island, Shoger Island, and Philemon Island, which is now part of the Gatineau mainland, were devoted to industrial uses, most recently by Domtar, which is a lumber company, and the land was leased to that company. And recently, the land was transferred to windmill developments without the consent or consultation of the Algonquin nation and they've slated a mixed-use condo and retail development for the site. The Algonquin Nation has spoken out strongly against this. Nine out of ten Algonquin chiefs have come out strongly against this. There's been marches with hundreds of people opposing it. Our group exists to support the demands from within Ottawa, from within a non-Algonquin context, to give organizational, logistical, and more widespread settler support to the demands of the Algonquin chiefs for that site which is to remediate it from its former industrial use and return it to Algonquin ownership and for it to return to Algonquin use as a ceremonial and social gathering place. What was particularly shocking about the announcement about three years ago that the islands were being turned over to a real estate developer to be transformed into condos and office buildings was the fact that for about the last 15 to 20 years, there had been widespread understanding that once the last pulp and paper mill was closed, that the islands would be transformed into parkland and that the Algonquin would have a special role in designing buildings that would be located on the islands and those buildings would be dedicated to healing and reconciliation and so on. So the best-known Algonquin elder, a man by the name of William Commanda, had worked with one of the best-known Canadian architects, Douglas Cardinal, to design some of the buildings that would be put on the islands for the purposes of reconciliation and healing. And the plans had been funded by a government agency, the National Capital Commission. They had been widely discussed within the city and within the city council and so on. The expectation 
by most people was that that would be the direction in which those islands would go. But uh, about a year and a half to two years before the Tories lost power, suddenly everything changed. Stephen Harper and John Baird cut a deal with the developers, which would have guaranteed that instead of having an indigenous presence on the islands within sight of Parliament Hill, that instead those islands would be covered with 15-story condo buildings. So that's the context in which the opposition to this project has developed. Stop Windmill is a coalition of labor and student activists, so we have representatives from public service unions, other labor unions here in the capital, as well as various student associations. I myself am a member of both the Graduate Student Association of Carleton University and QP4600, which is the union local representing teaching assistants and contract instructors at Carleton University together representing four or 5,000 members, and both those groups are strongly opposed to the windmill project and have voted to support the Stop Windmill Coalition. And we have a variety of other organizations, including the Public Servants Alliance of Canada, National Capital Region, which represents 50,000 public servants in the region, whose executive has also voted in opposition to the project. We all came together to give a more strategic and organized edge to the ally organizing going on around this site in Ottawa because it's really important for us to respond strategically to the demands of the chiefs, which have been articulated very clearly for the return of this site to Algonquin ownership and stewardship. For us, it's essential rather than individuals each contributing in their way in sometimes very good ways, but rather than that model of organizing that we bring organizations together, that we bring existing movements together who are well-established in the city to support the demands of the Algonquin chiefs who are in communities that are a little bit further from the site. And we have as one of our objectives not only the stopping of the windmill project, and of course in the follow-up to that, building support for Algonquin control over the islands and the creation of Algonquin institutions on those islands, but more broadly we understood that Part of the purpose in forming our organization was to try to lay the foundation for a longer-term goal of building a serious anti-colonial movement among the non-Indigenous population of Ottawa-Gatineau. So that's something that we are quite consciously trying to address. It isn't always an easy thing to draw unions and other sorts of formal institutions and organizations into coalition work. So how has that worked for Stop Windmill? The peculiar nature of Ottawa plays a role in understanding what we've been able to do here. Ottawa, unlike any other Canadian city, is a city obsessed with federal politics. And in the last five or six years, of course, federal politics around Indigenous issues has meant paying attention to the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Last summer, when the Truth and Reconciliation Commission was presenting its final report to the government, there was a march in this city of about 10 to 12,000 people as part of the process. And there were all kinds of people on that march from the city of Ottawa and the city of Gatineau who had never really participated in any kind of support action for Indigenous people previously. So that's part of the context in which we can understand a heightened sensitivity and interest not only nationally on the part of non-Indigenous people around these issues, 
but specifically in Ottawa, where there is a particular understanding that much of the policy making and decision making around Indigenous issues happens in this city. There are a lot of people employed in one way or another in positions that deal with Indigenous issues. And so I think that's part of the context in which, for example, it has been possible to go to a union like the Public Service Alliance of Canada with 50,000 members in this city and suggest to them that it is important for unions to support Algonquin rights and that doing so is particularly important in the wake of the TRC, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, and that supporting Indigenous rights is part of the process of achieving reconciliation. So we haven't found it at all difficult to make these arguments in some of the union bodies that we've gone into. For the most part, we get unanimous or near-unanimous support. Typically, what we have done is gone to meetings, made a presentation about the issues, answered questions, provided the background info, Mm -hmm. and then invited people to support a resolution which endorses the demands made by the Algonquin chiefs, quite explicitly calling for other people to support their position. So, so far, we have been limited in our efforts to deal with organizations, not by the difficulty of the argument, but by the fact that we're all volunteers and we have busy lives, so we're not getting to as many organizations as we might like. In Ottawa, in progressive or left-wing circles, there has been, over the last few years, a general acknowledgement of the Algonquin Nation, and it's quite common in the beginning of meetings and events and things to say, we recognize that we're on the unceded territories of the Algonquin Nation. This happens in labor union circles, and it happens in student association circles, and it usually just gets left at that. But now, right here in the heart of the city, we have a geopolitical contestation that has Algonquin leadership asking quite clearly for non-Algonquin organizations to pass resolutions and to support this issue. And finally, it's an opportunity for finally some of these organizations who've been acknowledging quite rightly that we live in the unceded territories of the Algonquin Nation, but now they can actually do something about those words. They can put some substantive actions behind those words. A local indigenous issue like this allows people to focus more on what settler colonialism means in the city in which we live and to focus in their action on something local where they can really perhaps make a difference. And I would add that it's been really important for us to draw common links between struggles when we've been presenting, because as you know, this project was approved by Harper's Conservatives, who are certainly no friends to labor unions. Also, the condo development company, Windmill Developments, is backed by a multi-billion dollar company called Dream. And Dream is a notorious union-busting corporation who's had a number of run-ins with its own workers and abuses of its own workers. So it's drawing that parallel, saying, listen, the same people who don't respect workers' rights are the same people who aren't respecting Algonquin rights, because what they care about is corporate profits and the bottom line. One of the challenges we face now, of course, is that with the election of the federal liberal government, there are a lot of illusions with the prime minister currently being all preoccupied with symbolic action around indigenous issues, even though so far he has delivered very little substantively. That has made our campaign and our argument, at least initially, a little bit more difficult, a little bit more complicated. 
But it is quite clear in this city that for strategic reasons, it is the federal government that we need to target because they are the ones who really have the power to block this condo project from going forward. At this point in time, some of the land that is to be included in the condo project is still in crown hands. So that land has not yet been transferred to the developer. And so we are focusing our attention specifically on the liberals and some of the local liberal MPs as the people who can hopefully be influenced to prevent this project from going forward. The Liberal MP whose writing includes those islands is Canada's new environment minister. And so she is a particular person that we're interested in, Catherine McKenna. And beyond the work of building support among unions and other kinds of organizations, what else has Stop Windmill been doing to advance the demands of the Algonquin chiefs on this issue? We've been doing a variety of different things. We've been escalating our approach as we build more support. We did an information ticket in front of Windmill Development's condo sales office on the first day that their condo sales opened up. We have recently supported a very big march that was led by 13 Algonquin grandmothers from the Algonquin community of Pekwakanagan. We were there and we brought out significant numbers of labor and student activists. We also recently delivered an open letter to the office of Catherine McKenna, and we asked her for a concrete response to the demands of the Algonquin chiefs and to listen to the concerns of we who are her constituents around this issue. We delivered that to her office, and we're expecting her to respond. We're going to be returning to her office, and then we'll be going from there and targeting other important liberals, especially ones representing ridings in the National Capital Region. And just a quick interruption to let listeners know that since this interview was recorded, the return visit by Stop Windmill to McKenna's office has in fact occurred, and the response that they received from McKenna contained statements of support in principle for Indigenous people, but no commitment to oppose this specific development on sacred land. We'll be escalating from there and trying to put pressure One of the advantages of having large organizations behind us is that it shows that this is an issue that a lot of people are paying attention to. And for politicians, that speaks louder than any number of words, the amount of people who are concerned with this issue. One of the other things we did was back about a month ago, we held the first ever public meeting around this issue in opposition to the project. And we got quite a healthy number of people out to that. And we intend to keep holding public meetings and promoting ever more serious discussion and analysis about the problem and the strategy for actually dealing with the condo development. So we have a real sense that it is not only necessary to undertake actions and give people a chance to get directly involved and feel and experience the possibility of actually influencing (laughs) the outcome, But also we recognize that non-Indigenous Canadians have a lot of questions about what is going on and why it's happening and how they might personally get involved in showing solidarity and support for the struggles of the local Indigenous population.
What have you seen in terms of reactions from and conversations with people in Ottawa from outside what you might describe as the progressive bubble of folks who are actively involved in student organizations and unions? In the day-to-day -day conversations that I've been having with non-Indigenous people in my communities, when I explain the issue to them, and take the time to do so, I would say most people have been overwhelmingly supportive and overwhelmingly opposed to what Windmill Development has planned for these islands. One of the areas where we face a little bit of pushback and which our group intends to work on a little bit more is Windmill's claims to be a uniquely eco-friendly or green initiative and we've uncovered a lot of details that suggest that a great deal of what Windmill presents as its green approach to development is actually greenwashing, is actually a sort of corporate environmentalism that is designed to sell condos without actually holding the company accountable to its promises in the long term. So when we get that information out there and we start to erode Windmill Development's claims to be some kind of exemplar of eco-friendly development, I think that will go a long way to also eroding some of their support amongst people who aren't too familiar with the issues. Yeah, my sense is talking to people who are not specifically students or union members, that there's a bit of a paradox. On the one hand, I think a large proportion of the Canadian population, a large proportion of local residents, kind of feel in their gut that there's something wrong with the way in which Indigenous people have been treated throughout Canadian history. There's a sense of guilt and responsibility, but they don't <clears throat> know enough to be able to figure out exactly what the problem is or what kinds of solutions there might be. So on the one hand, there's that. On the other hand, we're faced in this case with a company that, because of their backing from Dream Corporation, which is a company that has about $15 billion in assets, they have incredibly deep pockets, and they have been using that wealth in order to not only promote their project as a green project, but they've also been promoting it as a pro-Indigenous project. And that has created some difficulties for us in terms of the arguments that we have to get into as we talk to people about what's going on, because Windmill has been pumping out a lot of propaganda. But in my experience anyway, once you get a chance to have a conversation with somebody that lasts more than a minute or two, it's pretty easy to explain what's going on and to draw links to other experiences that people in the city have had. So back about five or six years ago, there was a major real estate development of a section of the city called Lansdowne Park, and there was massive opposition to that in certain sections of the city. So people are already somewhat attuned to the fact that large developers make huge amounts of money by taking up public lands and putting buildings on them and making all sorts of false claims and false promises in order to get the zoning approvals and so on. They've also offered very lucrative economic incentives to a small group of Algonquin people, of individuals really, who they've then set up as advisors to windmill developments. And these people who, you know, our quarrel is not with Algonquin people who have chosen to take up economic opportunities. Our quarrel is with windmill developments who's using individualized Algonquin voices 
to counter the widespread opposition of the Algonquin Nation to this project. And it is widespread because 90% of Algonquin communities have voted in opposition to this and hundreds of people have come out in the streets opposing it. Take That versus Windmill Development has a website where they've shared you know, editorials by people who are on their payroll. So we really have an example of a corporation that's using dubious tactics to paint itself as ethical and progressive in both an ecological perspective and in its relationships with Indigenous people. What's the focus of Stop Windmills' work going to be moving forward? We have two streams going forward of action. One is on the very important educational front, where we'll be continuing to raise awareness about this issue, reaching out to people in the media and also continuing to hold public events. That educational work is ongoing, especially in Ottawa Centre, because we want to make sure that the constituents of this federal riding know enough to be able to put pressure on their elected representative, Catherine McKenna, and on the Liberal government itself. The other stream of action that we are currently undertaking is increased pressure on the Liberals and a very influential federal institution that controls a lot of lands and assets in the capital is the National Capital Commission, which being a federal agency is in the control of the Liberal government, as well as Catherine McKenna, as we said, the MP for this area. We're going to continue putting pressure on them, continue escalating the pressure we bring to bear on those representatives we understand that we cannot force the Liberals to change the direction in which things are going currently without organizing a significant chunk of the local population behind the demands of the Algonquin chiefs. And we know that the Liberals are closely connected in business terms to the developer. So it is important that we apply pressure and apply it in a fashion that goes well beyond the sort of normal lobbying or anything like that. And secondly, it's incredibly important that we draw to public attention the contradictions between what the Liberals are saying around Indigenous issues, you know, their commitment announced recently to the principles of the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People, which has all sorts of wording in it about consultation, the importance of sacred sites, and so on. It's important for us to draw attention to the contradiction between what the Liberals say on such matters and their actual practice on a day-to-day basis in this context. So if UNDRIP doesn't comply within a three-kilometer radius of Parliament Hill, then just how good is the Liberal commitment to UNDRIP with regards to the rest of the country? So those are some of the kinds of arguments we need to get out and we need to mobilize ever larger numbers of people behind the idea that the Liberals have to change their course on this. You have been listening to my interview with William Philipchuk and Brian McDougall of Stop Windmill Student and Labor Allies for Akakojuan. To learn more about their work, go to stopwindmill.ca. That's stopwindmill.ca. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, or to suggest topics for future shows, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link for the radio show. On the site, you can sign up for email updates or follow us on Facebook or Twitter. 
I'm your host, Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Hamilton, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, Gender and Sexuality, and Resisting the State, both from Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week.